back to Rue Career Radio, the podcast where we talk all things careers. My name is Tessa Pranant. And I'm Alison Murdoch. And we are your hosts for Rue Career Radio. In today's episode, we are going to tackle job offers and negotiation. For this, we've invited our Block Career Center's Manager of Employer Relations and Outreach, Maggie Raylan, to answer questions we hear from students a lot. But before we get into all of that, let's jump into our usual reminders. Yes. So career services will remain virtual for this upcoming spring semester, just as we did in the fall. So for a list of all of our virtual events for next semester, hosted by our office, or even some of our awesome big name employers, go ahead and log into Handshake with your SSO, go to the events tab and search through all of those. There are some really cool events, trainings, information sessions, all kinds of things that you can sign up for. So check those out. Also, all of our career fairs this spring will be virtual and conducted completely through Handshake. Um, So check back often and and register. As a reminder, UMKC alumni still have full access to our services. So feel free to reach out via email anytime to our UMKC Career Services office at careerservices at umkc.edu if you have any questions. You know, we've talked about this maybe two episodes ago, but I think it's always a good thing to remind students that if you're graduating this semester, and I realize, you know, finals and you're wrapping things up and you might not be wanting to think about this, you might just want to take a break, but now is a really good time to be applying for positions and getting everything ready to for that job search. And It always takes a little longer than people think, whether it's a student or whether it's a more seasoned employee. The job search just takes a little bit longer. So good idea to get a jump on things. And of course, if students need any help, we are here during the break to help them with their job search. Yeah, come see us virtually. Yes, exactly. And you schedule appointments in handshake, all the usual. So... Then the question is, what do you do when you get an internship or a job offer? And and of course, that leads us into today's topic really nicely. And we have our new Manager of Employer Relations and Outreach for the Block Career Center, Maggie Rayland. And she is here to talk to us about everything we need to know about negotiation and accepting those offers. Yes, Maggie, welcome. We've had you on the podcast before many episodes ago. Really, I think it was like the second episode that we ever did. So it's been a while. But at that time, you were the manager of professional development for the Block Career Center. And and now you've moved into a different position. How are you liking it? And how do you feel that your professional development experience in terms of the student side of things has influenced how you approach employer relations? Yeah, thank you so much, Allison and Tess, for having me. I am really enjoying the position so far. Um, Of course, the biggest change is that I'm moving from meeting with students to employers. But all of my experience on the student side has helped me immensely so far in this role. I really know what students are looking for for internships and full-time positions, so I can speak to that when I'm meeting with our employer partners. I think also, Maggie, that you're really in a great position to talk about the negotiation piece of it now because you've you've really worked with so many students and alumni on helping them negotiate their offers from that perspective. But now, now you have those communications and those conversations with employers about maybe what they're thinking on that end, too. So I think that's why I'm really excited to have you in today to talk to us about this. Absolutely. Yeah. So what should students do when they receive that job offer? So the first thing that they should do, and I think one of the most important things that uh, a student should do is ask for it in writing. So, you know, the employer calls you up or emails you and says, congratulations, we'd like to bring you on board for this position. Uh, You know, here are some of the details, salary, maybe a little bit about the benefits, but then you really want to ask for it in writing. And then you want to ask for some time to think about it. Once you get off the phone, your first call, I hope, will be the Career Center because we will be able to coach you through, you know, shameless plug here, we'll be able to coach you through that process, uh, give you a lot of good data to support your, your research in terms of salary numbers and benefits. 
but definitely get it in writing and ask for a little bit of time to think about it and get a hard date for when they want you to respond to that offer. Yeah. So, you know, a student gets a job offer and they're given a salary as part of that job offer. How do they know if that's a good salary or not, if it's sort of within the range? Absolutely. So there are several places that students can go to begin this this research on salary and benefits. And again, the first stop really should be the Career Center. At the end of every semester, we collect placement data uh, from students as they get ready to, you know, go on their, their first career journey. And we ask them questions like, what company are you going to work for? What job title? And we ask them about salary and signing bonuses and benefits and all of that good stuff. So we have that data going back at least in block four or five years. Um, and then institutional research collects that, you know, information university wide as well. So we have access to real salary numbers from real UMKC graduates. So that's immensely helpful. There's also great resources like Glassdoor and Vault and Salary.com and LinkedIn actually now is collecting salary data as well. So there are so many great resources uh, out there online in our office that can really help you figure out what is an appropriate number, what is an appropriate range, so that when you do go back to that company to start those negotiations, you have really good data in your pocket to work from. I do like the idea of using our offices data because it's data on the positions that typically our students get hired for. So looking at some of our our local big name employers and and sort of what those salary had trends have been. I do want to assure people that when we ask for that information about salaries and all of that, you know, whether listeners are employers or whether they're students, we only use the information in aggregate. We take the student's name any identifier off of it. And so we're looking at, you know, students who get a job at a specific company have a salary range of X to Y or whatever, but we never, we would never share, we would never identify a specific student. All right. So I want to go back to kind of the job offer aspect and and navigating that in. And when it comes to the complex scenarios that some of our students see, So for an example, um, I actually called up Maggie not too long ago, maybe like a month or so ago, because Maggie knows all. And I needed her advice on a certain situation that was a little bit more complicated. We had a student that was interviewing for a lot of really awesome companies, really good positions in the Kansas City area and outside Kansas City. And she had received a job offer from a very large organization that was kind of hard to say no to, but she was also really excited about some of these other interviews that she was conducting the same week that she received the offer. So how does a student who, you know, receives a job offer from one organization, but still interested in some of the other organizations they're interviewing with, how do they approach that situation? Well, first and foremost, we really want all students to to find themselves in this situation because it means that they're applying for multiple opportunities um, and they're being selected to interview by multiple companies. So this is, while complex and stressful, also an ideal situation um, that we would love for every student to to have to deal with, I guess, <laughs> at some point in their in their searches. Um, so the the first step is what I said earlier, really, which is just getting a timeline for when that first company wants you to respond. And honestly, if it's just a couple of days, there is nothing wrong with asking for more time to think. Uh, you know, it's it's not out of the ordinary to ask for a week to two weeks to make a decision. You just need to have that conversation with that employer. So second to that is then you pick up the phone and you call the other companies that you're interviewing with and you ask if you can speed up the process. So, you know, company A has an offer on the table, but company B is still very promising. You want to go through the rest of that process. So you call company B and say, I have a job offer. I have to let them know by this date. I understand that my interview with you is only the day before, or maybe it's the day after I have to let that company know. Is there any way that I can, you know, interview with you sooner? And a lot of times they say yes. I would say the majority of the time they say yes. If you are a quality candidate and they see that other companies want you, that gives them, you know, some some energy behind saying, oh, okay, we need to 
get going here. We need to talk to this person because we might miss out on a great candidate just because our timeline was just a couple of days longer than when they had to, you know, get a get a response back to this company. So so you first ask the the first company to have some time to think about it. And then you just start making the phone calls and sending the emails to moving your other interviews up. And again, they might not all do it, but there's a very good chance that they will because they're not going to want to miss out on good talent. So you know, if all else fails and the other companies say, no, I'm sorry, uh, we can't move up our interview process, then you go back to, you know, company A and you say, I know that you're giving me a week. Is there any chance I can get two? And you just, you might say to them, I am interviewing with other companies and I would really like to fulfill, you know, the promises I made to those companies to interview for those positions. Some companies will take that as, oh no, we're going to lose this person to another company. And so they might really dig down on that date that they've given you. Some could incentivize, some could, you know, that could then go to more of a negotiation question. And they say, oh, hey, if you take this offer right now, we'll throw in a signing bonus. I've seen that happen. I've seen companies really drill down and say, no, we really need to know (laughs) because they don't want to lose you to, you know, other companies. And some companies are really understanding and they say, yeah, you can have an extra week. Um, So, There's a lot of variety to the way that it could all shake out. But, you know, first, again, go to the company that gave you the offer, extend as long as possible. And second to that, just ask to speed up the process with those other companies. And more of them might say yes than you'd think. I do think it's important, though, to to be delicate about it and and extraordinarily polite. Um, But I think most people... Most organizations understand this is a big decision. And you can say that to them. This is a big decision and really impacts my career going forward. I just want to make sure, you know, I'm making my due diligence. I'm excited about the offer that you've presented with me, but um, just want to make sure um, and and follow through with some of these other interviews just so that I know that it's the right decision. Um, and And most people understand that. And I would say that goes for any communication that you have with any employer throughout this entire process. Talk with enthusiasm, gratitude, kindness. Um, It'll get you much further than you think. Yeah. Before we talk about full-time job offers and, and whether you should and how you should, should students negotiate internship offers? You know, that's a great question. And of course, students ask that question all the time. And the answer is, it depends A lot of the time, no. Unfortunately, you cannot negotiate internship offers. They have a very set rate. Um, They're giving every single one of their interns that rate, and they're not going to budge. So that's sort of the the short answer to, to it. But there are other times when it's absolutely possible to negotiate your internship salary. I have seen it uh, be the most successful in our accounting students. They will often get offers from multiple firms that are the exact same internship, the exact same timeline, uh, just slightly different firms for slightly different pay. And that might mean a dollar difference an hour. That might be one company is giving a signing bonus and one isn't. And so I have seen success in students negotiating their internship pay when they have been given offers from multiple companies that are the exact same internship on the exact same timeline uh, with just a slight difference in hourly pay or an incentive like a signing bonus. So I have seen that be successful. But generally speaking, uh, students are not getting multiple internship offers for the exact same type of internship. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, an SEO internship and a sales internship, and they're looking at different things because they have different interests and they want they're wanting to try different things. And so uh, it doesn't always work, but I have seen it happen. It's just you are much more likely to be successful in negotiating a full time offer than an internship offer. Should they try at all? (laughs) That's another great question. Of course, my answer, uh, if it was for full time, is yes, always yes, 100 times yes. Uh, Internships, if it's a a good offer, if you feel like you're going to be making an hourly wage that is appropriate to the position and it's a good rate for the work that you'll be doing, I would say don't negotiate for an internship salary. And you certainly don't have the leverage to negotiate for an internship salary if it's the only offer that you've been given, or again, the positions or the companies are super different, then you really, unfortunately, just don't have much of a leg to stand on. You don't have that leverage to to really get more money. Um, so again, it's come see us in the Career Center so we can coach you through each of these 
individual uh, scenarios because they are really different and our advice will be a little bit different depending on what it is that you are pursuing. So I hate to say it depends, but it depends. Come see us. We'll help you, you know, navigate that process. So so you've kind of answered this already, but I, I want you to go into more detail, I guess. Should students negotiate their salary for their first full-time position after graduating? Yes, I wish I could hire a plane to drag a flag behind it or, or smoke signals or do something that says, yes, yes, please, yes, always negotiate your full-time salary. Uh, it's it's something that is scary and stressful and students and not just students. I don't want to do it. No one really. I mean, you want to do it because it could mean more money, but it's a it's a stressful and awkward conversation. Um, you know, we've been taught from forever that we shouldn't talk about money like we shouldn't talk about what we're making and we shouldn't ask for more. It could be rude. But yes, always. Yes. Employers, to a certain extent, absolutely expect you to. And so you should because the worst that can happen is they'll say, no, I'm sorry, that is uh, our best and final offer. And then you can take with that and, and decide if that's going to be something that you will accept, or maybe it's not the right offer for you, but you should always ask for more. It should be a, a well-researched number that you're using. You know, you don't want to come back $20,000 over what they offered you because that answer will probably be no. But if you have a well-researched number and you have a good reason for asking for more, there is no reason why you shouldn't ask for it. Even if your salary comes up $500 a year, your lifelong earnings will be based on that slightly higher number. And over the lifetime of your career, you will earn so much more money. So always, yes, always ask. Okay. Well, aside from salary negotiation, let's let's jump into the other side of what possibly could come with a job offer, and that's benefits. What are the possible benefits students can be offered? There are lots of different things that you can negotiate for that you might be offered when you when you get that offer from a company. So salary is it should always be the first thing that it'll be the first thing they tell you about. It should be the first thing that you negotiate for. But there are so many other things that are included in a comprehensive benefit package. So the big one is, of course, comprehensive health care, which might include vision, dental. That's something that pretty much any company of, of a certain size is going to offer as part of their package, unless it's tiny. I think it legally companies with more than 10 employees. I don't know if either of you know the specific number, um, but it's small. I can't remember the number any. It's a, it's relatively small companies. Yes, uh, don't have to include uh, healthcare coverage for their employees. But so most companies, unless you're looking at a startup or something really small, will have a comprehensive healthcare plan, including vision and dental. And it's really important that you calculate these benefits specifically when you are going to the negotiation table, because there are some companies that pay for 100% of your premiums, and maybe their salary is a little bit lower. But actually, when you do the math, you would be earning less because the premiums for another company are much higher. So these are all things you also, as you're sort of calculating, doing pros and cons of negotiation, these are all things that you need to look at. So in addition to healthcare, there are signing bonuses. So a signing bonus is a one-time bonus that you get for basically signing on the dotted line, for saying, yes, I'm going to come work at your company. Uh, those signing bonuses, I've seen them as low as $250 all the way up to tens of thousands of dollars, depending on the company, the role, um, and the industry. So another benefit that most people receive is some sort of paid time off benefit. So that either might be called PTO and it's sort of one bucket. It also might include sick, vacation, holiday, personal time. Uh, so that's something to look at as well as, as how much PTO that you're getting from a company. You might also get tuition reimbursement, which is especially important as tuition costs uh, go up every year. So a company might either pay for your tuition or some companies actually give you money each month to pay off your student loans. So that could be a really important benefit as well. There's also discount programs like on gym, cell phones, uh, internet, especially as more and more work is being moved remote. You might find a company that is willing to reimburse you for part of your cell phone plan or your internet plan because you will be required to do some of your work from home. If you are looking at a smaller company or a newer company, they might also have stock options some type of ownership buy-in to the company. So that could be a really cool perk if that's something that you're interested in. 
And also professional development funds. Maybe that company is going to pay every year for you to attend a conference or to earn a certification. So lots of different things that you can ask for or might just be included in the benefits package when they send over your offer letter and those details. You know, you had mentioned PTO, paid time off. And I think that one of the newer trends that we're seeing is a policy of no vacation. So the idea that you don't have to ask for vacation, you are not limited by a set number of days that are available to you every year. And it's really sort of an interesting idea, but I think that this is another one students really need to think about. Most companies who offer paid time off in terms of vacation, if you were to leave that company, if you have not used your vacation hours by a certain time period, they oftentimes will give you the money in cash. Whereas if the organization's policy is you don't accrue vacation because you can take vacation when and how you need it, then you also are not rewarded by not using it. And, and so there isn't that potential bonus. And so it's really important to understand what that policy actually means, because rarely does it mean that you can just not go to work when you don't feel like it. Uh, you still have to get your employer's approval. You, you can't often take vacation time during busy corporate periods of time. So it's maybe not quite the amazing benefit that you think it is. And in some ways, it actually might be less of a benefit than being guaranteed three or four weeks of vacation. Well, and I think there's been quite a bit of research done on companies who have implemented these unlimited PTO policies, and employees are, are actually less likely to take as much vacation because there's sort of this unspoken rule of, well, how much is enough? I don't, I don't want to take too much, even though technically I can take as much as I want. But if you have a set amount, you know that you have three weeks of vacation every year, you're probably going to use every minute of that three weeks of vacation. Or decide I'm not going to use it because I know my company is going to give me a check for that. And, and I would rather use the money at this point for something else. So 100%. Can you negotiate everything that you just listed out? Or are there some things that you can't? Absolutely. So some things you can, some things you can't. Things like your health care policy, probably not. Probably the, the thing that's most likely to be negotiated is the signing bonus. So if they come back and they say, we're going to give you a $1,000 signing bonus and you ask for $2,500 or $3,000, that's probably going to be the thing that they are most likely willing to negotiate. I have seen students successfully negotiate their PTO. So maybe they were going to come in at two weeks, but they were able to negotiate starting at a slightly higher level in terms of their crude PTO and they were able to start at three weeks. So it really kind of depends. Um, things like discounts, tuition reimbursement, things like that, probably pretty set in stone across all employees. But certainly there are things um, as part of the benefits package that they can absolutely negotiate. So should students negotiate for more than one thing? How do you, you know, if you, this is quite a whole long list of things. So is it like, okay, so let's negotiate salary. Now let's negotiate bonus. Now let's negotiate PTO. Absolutely. I, I really see negotiating as there's sort of an order of operations, right? So salary, always number one. Uh, you should always start with salary. And then if they say yes, then you can decide, okay, well, in addition to salary, I'd also like to talk to you about the signing bonus, or maybe there wasn't a signing bonus, but you want one. So then you ask for that. So I would say, especially if they say no to salary, a salary increase, then definitely ask for something else. Uh, move down that list and ask for the things you want. It becomes a little bit of a different conversation when they start saying yes to everything. Um, and then you just have to decide at what point you've gotten enough and you don't keep pushing for additional things. So one thing that you know you can negotiate for, which is I think happens to all of us, is that we start a new job, but within that probationary period, and many companies, I would say Almost all companies have some sort of probationary period, whether it's three, six months, a year. You're not allowed to take vacation during that time. And so maybe you have a wedding that you have to attend. And so you need to ask for a week off and you don't want to take it unpaid. So that's something that you can negotiate for uh, when they give you your offer. And so that would be something easy to sort of tack on. You know, I will be needing to travel for a wedding. I'll be out of the office for a week in June. I know that's still within my probationary period. Would I be able to be sort of 
retroactively given some of my PTO and and be able to use it so that it isn't unpaid. And those are the sorts of things that you can always tack on to the end of a negotiation and employers and, and recruiters don't really blink at that. But, you know, it's it's really feeling it out and understanding that if they've given you everything you've asked for, maybe you don't go down the entire list of things. But if they've had to say no to some big things, then yeah, start start going down the list and really asking for things that will make you a happier, more fulfilled person once you start that job. Because, and Tess and I have had this conversation a million times over the years, but if an employee starts at a position and they were told no down their list and not given even an inch of, of anything extra, they're going to be a fairly dissatisfied employee and they might not stay in that job very long, especially if they feel they're being underpaid. And if it's because you didn't negotiate and you're being underpaid because you took exactly what they gave you, you're going to be especially, you know, dissatisfied. So make sure that you, you know, you ask for the things that you want. But again, the caveat is be kind and generous and enthusiastic throughout the process so that they feel more inclined to help you. Absolutely. You know, there's a there's a big difference between going in and saying, hey, the salary is lower than what I was expecting to saying, thanks so much for the offer. I'm really excited to join the organization. I was wondering if there's some room to negotiate on salary. So the way you approach it can make a huge difference in how successful you'll be with it. I will also say, if it is the recruiter who has called you to make you the offer, they are not necessarily 100% the decision maker. So you don't want to beat up the recruiter too badly because they are but the messenger in this in this scenario. You know, they've been given authorization to offer you something and they might have been authorized to go up a little bit, but maybe it's not enough for you to accept the role. So just be, you know, really, again, kind and gracious to those people who you're you're talking on the phone with, because they are likely not the person who has come up with this number to offer you. So, you know, kill them with kindness, I would say. So Maggie, you know, one of the things that I get all the time, and, and maybe we can do a, a little bit of back and forth on this one. So how do I start this? So an employer's called me up and made an offer and said, you know, they call you, you're standing in line or you're paying for your gas at the, the gas station or something. And, and it never seems like it's a great time. And they say, hey, congratulations. We'd love to make you an offer. We're really excited. Great candidate. What do you think? So what do I do? Do I accept right there? Do I, how do I handle this? So I would say even if the offer is everything you could have dreamed of, you should always ask for a little bit of time to think about it and ask for the offer in writing because they're not going to go over every single facet of that offer over the phone. And what I mean by that is they're not going to go over every single benefit that they're going to offer you over the phone. So my best advice is to thank them enthusiastically, tell them how excited you are to be receiving the offer. And then just ask when they need to know. So do you need to know by Friday? Can I take the weekend? And then I'd say, can you please email all of this to me so that I can take a look at it, read through everything, and just let them know that you'll get back to them by the date that they need to know, or if you've needed to ask for an extension, getting back to them by then. But I would not ever start negotiating on the final day that they've given you to respond. So to your test point, sort of when does this start? Always ask for some time to think about it. But if they've given you, you know, a week to respond, don't wait until the last day of that week to start those negotiations. You definitely should start those negotiations within a couple of days of them making that initial phone call. So they've said, you know, we have a deadline of Friday. And so uh, and they've sent me my offer and, you know, I'm having a hard time making sense of it all. But I've, I want to negotiate something. So who do I call? And do I call the recruiter? Do I call the manager of the department? And then how do I start the, you know, I got whoever it is on the phone. How do I start saying, I want more money? <laughs> I always call back the person who called me. So if it was the recruiter that called me, I call back the recruiter. If it was the hiring manager that called me, I call back the hiring manager. And I think you you said it really well um, before, you know, you say, thank you so much for the offer. I've had some time to look over everything. Everything looks really great, except I do want to talk to you about the salary and then go into your reasons why you want to talk about the salary. You know, you can you can ask the question, is there any room for negotiation? But it gives them the opportunity to say no and to say, nope, sorry, this was our best offer. And in my experience, 
even if a company has tried to, to slip that in somewhere, oh, this was our best offer. No, there's no room for negotiation. They might be thinking salary, but maybe there are other areas where there is room for negotiation. So again, thanking them profusely for the offer, but then saying, you know, in looking at the offer, in knowing what my experience level is, in looking at regionally the average for this type of a role, and then give them your pitch, you know, give them the reason why you think you want a little bit more. I also highly recommend that, okay, so say the offer is for 50,000 and you really wanted 55. That was your, your lowest number that you were really willing to accept. Overshoot that and ask for 60 because what likely happens if they offer you 50 and you ask for 55, which is the number that you want, they're probably going to meet you somewhere in the middle. They're going to say, okay, we went back to, to HR and we are able to offer you 52.5. And that's still lower than what you wanted. So I would probably counter at 57, 60, um, something that overshoots the number that you really would be happy with in hopes that they end up landing on the number that you want. So again, this is all about being coached by us, doing your research, and really having a good answer for why you want more money. If you just pick up the phone and say, thanks for the offer, I want 60, but you give them no reason to, to give you 60, they're probably not going to give you 60. So what are good reasons? for asking for more. And I get this question from students all the time. So uh, why would why would I deserve more? Because I this is my first job. I'm new at this. Why would they pay me more? So I think the, the best answer is first to look at, is this what they normally pay? So if you come to our office and you say, hey, I got a, an offer from company XYZ, and this was the offer, and we look in our data and we see that that offer is actually quite a bit lower than what maybe that company has offered in the past. We can tell you that and you can use that, you know, you can say in my research, I see that generally for positions like this, the number is this amount. Can you meet me here? Or we can tell you, nope, that's exactly what they offer. Like we know it, that it's that that's always going to be the offer. And so that maybe saves you a little bit of the trying to push something that's not going to happen. And maybe you can start looking at other parts of that benefits package. The other thing is, even if you are a college senior, it's your first big full-time position straight out of college, there's a reason they wanted you. Something about your resume and your background and your experience made that company decide this is the student for us. So use that. Use that to your advantage. You know, they've spent time and money interviewing you and they do want you to come on board. So go back to your experience. Go back to a certification that you've earned. Go back to a, a class project that you did that was super relevant to what you're going to be doing in this job and say, I, I think you wanted me because of this experience. And I, I've got to tell you, I feel like this is the number that I'm going to need to get to to be happy in this position and have a conversation I will say the best possible way to leverage a full-time offer is by having another full-time offer. So that's why it's also really important to be applying for multiple positions and interviewing with multiple companies because the best way to get more money is to have another offer that's for more and be able to, to leverage that against, you know, the other offer that maybe you want a little bit more. But, you know, there are other things, even if it's your only offer, you know, there's a reason that they wanted you and you can go back to that and, and speak to that when you're negotiating. Why isn't it in a student's best interest to bluff a little bit, you know, Tell them I have an offer. Tell them, you know, I have this great offer and it's $10,000 more than what you're willing to pay me. So using that as leverage. Well, I will say if you call a company and say, I have another offer and it's for $10,000 more, so you should match it. Their first question is going to be, great, what company is that with? And was it for a similar position? They're going to they're going to ask some questions um, because $10,000 is a big is a big gap. And so in their minds, they're probably thinking, Either this is a very different position and that's why it's paid differently, or I'm not sure that this is accurate. And they're going to push back and they're going to ask some questions. And if you try to bluff and you come up with a company, maybe that you're just interviewing with right now, but maybe you haven't gotten an offer, that recruiter is probably going to pick up the phone and call their friend who's another campus recruiter in the Kansas City area and say, hey, are you guys paying this much for that role right now? Because that's like so different than what we've talked about in the past. And they're going to say, what are you talking about? <laughs> that that's not what we pay for that role. And then your cover's blown. I would say if you are applying for a position in Kansas City, you should just know recruiters talk to each other. 
it's a small big town. There's not that many campus recruiters or, or entry level recruiters in the area, and they and they all stand next to each other at at career fairs with time to kill and chat, so they all know each other. Yep, and they go to the same conferences and they they have meetings with each other and they network with each other. They're in the same pro- young professionals groups, so they have conversations, and so you know. It's just a bad idea. You also do not want to start a new position having lied about another offer because what happens if you get that position and then it comes out later on when you're working there that, you know, you lied about something, you know, before you even accepted the position and and got on board. So just just don't do it. It's a bad idea. And it could completely backfire because absolutely an employer could also say, wow, there is no way we could match that. And and we recognize you'll probably never be happy making le- that much less for us. So my best advice is you should take that other position. And now you don't have a job. I would say that that's a very likely scenario to play out. Yeah. You just prove yourself to be untrustworthy. And what I tell all of my students, be honest, be authentically you, because that's who they're hiring. So it's be- in your best interest just not to lie. Just don't lie. Yeah. And you know, I love the comment that Maggie made earlier. They've already decided that they wanted to hire you. They always have decided that they like you. So, you know, you don't need to make things up to make yourself more attractive. The decision's actually already been made. So sure. I mean, you can talk about, I did an internship with you guys. I can just hit the ground running. I know the policies and procedures. And so I think I'm worth this. Or, you know, I have all this leadership experience that I really think that I can bring to the position. You have more to offer than you might think. And and so just be authentic about what it is that you're bringing. You don't need to lie and make things up. And I will say on the other side of that too, and I agree with everything you said, Tess, but if they cannot come up on that number, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't mean that they want you less or that they just think you're worth a certain amount of money. There are so many algorithms and research and data that goes into what a company offers for any given position, and it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with something that was entered into a computer that you have no control over. So do not take it personally if a company cannot come up on a salary number or one of your benefits. It's not about you. It's absolutely about something that you have no control over. So, Well, and that's such an interesting thing. And I try and tell students, well, not just students, because I oftentimes work with pretty senior professionals also. It's the viewing it from the employer side as opposed to viewing it from your own personal side. When we as a person inter- uh, negotiate, it's, it's the super emotional thing. It's, it's about my personal value and worth and, and how self-confident I am about my own value. It's so personal. But for the employer, it's business. It's not personal whether they offer you $5,000 more or not. It's can they afford it? Does it set a precedent that they would then have to extend in a much bigger, broader way? It's financial. It's business. So, so when you go into the negotiation, try and keep your nerves down because it might be personal for you, but it's not for them. It's just a business negotiation for them. And I would say too, especially if you are negotiating with someone who will be your direct manager, it's a company decision, but it doesn't mean that that person didn't want to give you more money. You know, they could have begged human resources or payroll to give you more, and it just wasn't possible for whatever reason. And so also, if you do accept a position, don't hold it against the person, you know, who's managing you because they could have really fought tooth and nail to get you more money. And it just wasn't possible at the time. Oh, and that adds one more thing to my list of things you can negotiate for. If they cannot come up on salary, negotiate for a six month review so that, you know, you can get into the position, you can just kill it for six months and show them everything that you can do. And just ask that at six months, you know, normally performance reviews are on an annual basis. Ask for a, you know, a six month review to see if there's any room now that you've proven yourself to move the needle a little bit. That's totally acceptable as well. So that's another thing you can ask for. Absolutely. But then go jump in and be a great employee. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. If you're not a very good employee, they're going to be like, well, this isn't going to go well (laughs) at this six month review. So 
But definitely, if you feel like you are just going to hit the ground running and add a ton of value in, you know, the first six months, ask for the review. You know, maybe then they can come up um, on a salary number after you've been working for a little while. You know, this is another one. And I, I really know that we need to talk about this. Sometimes it's when you're filling out the application form, the electronic application, or when you get that first phone call for like a phone screen, they'll say, what are your salary expectations? What do you say? That's a really good question. And it just, it goes to show that you should be doing this research about salary before you actually get to the point of getting an offer, you know, Look at Vault, look at Glassdoor, talk to us as you're just starting this process so that you know what's the appropriate number to put on an application, what's the appropriate number to say in an interview. My first inclination is to tell you to deflect a little bit, you know, because honestly, when it comes to negotiation, generally the first person who says a number loses. That's sort of one of the key, key rules of negotiation. Now, sometimes you have to, you have to say a number, the recruiter wants a number, it's a force field on an application. And that's when you're, you know, your research comes into play. But it's also appropriate to say, you know, I'm flexible, I'm open to negotiation, and just see if they'll take that as sort of a non answer. And some recruiters will and some won't. So you have to be ready with that research. You can give a range too, with the idea that they might then offer you something at the lower end of the range. But sometimes it's a little easier to negotiate your way up from a range than it is just from a single solitary number that you've given them. And and if you really don't know and, and aren't comfortable asking or answering the question, ask them what the range is. Absolutely. Is, an, is a really good way to deflect, you know, because you could say, you know, I, I've been trying to do some of my research on what uh, the appropriate range for this is, and I really haven't been able to find anything very concrete. Could you tell me what the range for the position is? And just as they want you to give that range first, mm -hmm. they should honor the same, that, that they should give a range also. And the other thing that makes me crazy, and there's been a lot of talk about this in, in publications recently, a lot of times employers, and not maybe so much for your first job, but, but for your second job, they'll ask you, what were you making in your last job? And don't tell them. Do not tell them. It's not their business. So the answer to that is, my expectations for this position would be, or can you tell me what the range is for this position? Because it makes no difference. Apples and oranges, how much you were making in a different job for a different company is completely irrelevant. And, and this is the problem. And this is why sometimes our salary haunts us for years and years, is that we tend to tell them that. And then they say, okay, we'll offer you 20% more than what you were making in your previous job, because 20% is going to seem like a good number to you. And, and a significant increase, and now you've limited yourself. So what they're willing to pay for a position is what they're willing to pay and has nothing to do with what you were making in your last job. So they may ask in an interview, but you'll see in a lot of applications that they have that as like field, maybe it's a required field. And they're getting savvier about the requirement. Not only do you need to put in a number, you need to put in a such and such digit number. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no more like putting in N-A or, you know, just zero. And one little additional thing I wanted to add to what Tess was saying is that's actually one of the reasons we have a gender pay gap in this country is because we're being forced to, to reveal what our previous salaries were. And it just perpetuates this issue of women being paid less than men because salaries are based sometimes on what they were making before. So, And hey, if you're interested in learning more about the gender pay gap, we're going to have an entire episode about that in March. So tune in then. Fabulous. Yes. For equal pay month? For equal pay month. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So switching gears a little bit. In terms of the current climate, is remote work something students can negotiate when a company requires employees to work in person? It's a really good question. And I will, I will say that there are lots of companies who are just going fully remote, or they're, they're allowing their employees who have gone home to continue to stay home. Mm -hmm. um, some of the biggest companies in the country, Microsoft, Google, Zillow, I mean, they, they've sent their employees home and they're saying, you know, now you can stay home. 
which actually then opens up opportunities for students here in Kansas City to say, okay, I want to go work for Google or Microsoft. And they're more open to that without you having to relocate out to a much more expensive part of the country. I think it's a different story, though, when the position is meant to be full time in office and you are asking to be a remote employee for that position that is intended to be in office. I think you might be told that it can be remote up until a certain point. And that point would be we've had enough people that have had the COVID vaccine to make it safe to return to business as usual. And then you would be expected to come back. So I have seen a ton of postings that have said virtual until September of 2021, something along those lines or or something a little more vague that says remote or virtual until we can return to businesses as normal. Asking for that type of a position to be remote forever, probably a hard sell. Uh, But I will say that I think employers are just becoming more flexible in that way. And they are making, you know, positions more flexible in that they could be at home, they could be at work. And so it really it really depends on the posting. But I I don't know what you you think about that test and what you've seen. But I do think it would be a hard sell to ask for a position that really is intended to be in office uh, to be virtual 100 percent for the foreseeable. Yeah. And I guess I would be again, it kind of depends. Previous to COVID, I would have told people, don't go there. I wouldn't negotiate it right out the gate because, I mean, if you look at it from an employer standpoint, especially if they they like working in a traditional in-office environment. When you come in and immediately start saying, I want flex schedule, I want to work from home, they don't know you. They don't know how you work. They don't know how well you work. They don't know what your work ethic is. And they very likely are not inclined to, to make that decision on an, on an unknown. But I do think things are changing. And I do think COVID has sped up those changes immensely. I would still, again, I would ask to have things reviewed at a six-month point or reviewed at that, you know, September 2021 date when they say they're going to be back in the office to see if it's possible to continue to work remotely at that time. But I, I don't know that I would push it because, again, they don't know. And, and I think businesses are, they have so many unknowns right now, and, and it's tough. And I think that they're going to be hesitant to commit to making you a promise like that before they know you, before they know what the economy is going to do. I agree completely. No, yeah, I agree as well. And I think companies are getting by, right, at this point in terms of telework. So they may not have the technology in place. They may not have the equipment. They may not have a lot of things long term that will allow you to continue to work from home after that set date that they have. So, yeah, it's 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 a difficult question. Yeah. Well, and it's also an interesting one and and I think this is I I'm actually quite fascinated by this, but I think companies are surprised at how well and how hard people are working from home. But but there is also the the very well-known experience of getting burned out and and I think we feel it and and we're hearing it's pretty universal. So working from home 24-7, 365, isn't fantastic, although it's working for a lot of companies. But I think what's going to be interesting as we move forward is how, for innovative companies, how are they going to maintain high levels of innovation when their teams are dispersed? And this is something that people have had a hard time with up to this point. And I don't know that we have seen yet how well that sort of innovation factor works in a remote environment. So, you know, how much of it do you just need to be in proximity and bouncing ideas and the serendipity of running into somebody in the the little kitchenette while you're heating up your, your lunch or something? So, again, I think that they're just going to be a little hesitant to commit until they know exactly how this completely dispersed environment really is going to affect their business long term. And like everything else, I think it really depends on the industry that you're you're looking to get into because I think different industries are adapting in different ways. So, you know, a more traditional industry might say, nope, we're going back to business as usual the second that we can. Um, and maybe a tech company is going to do something entirely different. So it's it's I feel like it depends. I know that's the the answer we hate to give, but I think it's going to really depend. 
Mm. If you would like to have additional advice or assistance with your job offer, with negotiating salaries, with understanding your benefits, because sometimes it's difficult to understand what it all means, make an appointment to come and see one of us. We're always happy to talk to you. And you can go into Handshake and schedule an appointment. And we actually even have an appointment category of negotiating. So uh, go in, log into Handshake, umkc.joinhandshake.com, and use your SSO and then schedule that appointment. Maggie, so much for coming in and joining us and sharing your perspective on this. I think it's been really valuable. And congratulations in your new role. We're all really excited about it. Thank you so much for having me, Allison and Tess. I am super excited to continue to help our students fulfill their career goals just in a slightly different capacity. Absolutely. And for our listeners, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or our YouTube channel, UMKC Career Channel. We also encourage you to join our LinkedIn group created for UMKC students, alumni, and employers to connect, post positions, and get updated on career prep info, tips, and tricks. And that concludes our episode. You have been listening to Rue Career Radio, brought to you by UMKC Career Services and the Block Career Center. Happy holidays to our UMKC campus and KC community. We will talk more in 2021.